Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology. With me, Tiasha Zaitz. After a series of discussions about healthcare digitalization in the APEC region, we're moving into South America. In today's episode, you're going to hear from a Peruvian clinician and innovator, Jonathan Bringas Dimitriades. Jonathan is based in the Netherlands, but worked as an MD across continents and held various executive positions at tech companies. We discussed the Peruvian healthcare system, the inclination to move forward with digitalization. We talked about how digitized are the hospitals and how prepared is the healthcare system to advance care provision with technology. We covered South America in the past already, and I will add the link to those episodes in the show notes. If you haven't yet, do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. And if you haven't yet, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Now let's dive in today's discussion. Jonathan, thank you again for joining this discussion on Faces of Digital Health. We're currently running a series of discussions around South America, healthcare digitalization and digital health in that region. And I really wanted to talk to you because you are originally from Peru. You work yes. across continents in different countries as an MD. I think most people that follow you on LinkedIn know you as the CEO of Lapsi Health Startup. But if we set that aside for just a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about how much work as a medical professional did you do in Peru and how did you then transition to other markets as well? Well, I worked um, several years in Peru as a GP and then in emergency care um, as a clinician. So I've had, I would say, a taste of everything. I worked for the police medical system for a couple of years. And I also worked for the private care systems. So I had a taste of the national integrative type of system, which is not the best. And then I also had a taste of what it is to deliver and provide healthcare services in a private way. I think that quality differences are extreme between both of them. And I have been working also in, in the Caribbean before as a physician, more especially in Cuba. And I also, when I migrated to Europe and um, started to work at meta companies, I went always back to Latin America for topics of innovation and for implementing technologies in hospitals, working with medical partners and distribution companies, hospital systems. So I've been lucky to be able to visit some of the most innovative hospitals all over Latin America, like Albert Einstein, Fundación Cardio Infantil in Colombia, uh, Clinica Alemana in Chile, of course, Clinica Internacional, where I'm an advisor now nowadays, but several other ones, Angeles uh, Hospitals in Mexico and the Panama Clinic in Panama, and helping them to achieve some levels of technification, some of them, or just understanding the medical systems and visiting as a fellow professional 
So it has been a very interesting work and exploration that I've done in Latin America in the last years. How would you characterize where is Peru specifically now in terms of healthcare digitalization? It's obvious that any hospital or any healthcare institution that goes from paper to digital processes faces to a degree same challenges with the culture, with the change management, with changing the processes and the way things are done. What is specific for Peru and how would you more broadly characterize the level of maturity in the digital sense? Before the pandemic, so I think Peru is, it's still very immature, but if you compare pre-pandemic Peru versus post-pandemic Peru, it's like twins that were raised by different families. So pre-pandemic Peru, there was a rule, for instance, a regulation for telemedicine involved that there should be a physician on one side, on the clinical side, but also there should be a physician next to the patient. Why? Because telemedicine was not really understood by Peru as the concept of telemedicine that we have nowadays, it was more understood as the as a second opinion, as a telemetric second opinion only. So you had two physicians in two sides, which for tele, for the telemedicine purposes of today makes absolute no sense. So that's just one one side of things, which is the regulatory clinical strategy side of things. Of course, there was nothing being done in telemedicine before the pandemic. So when the pandemic started and some clinics started to offer telemedicine services, the Peruvian College of Physicians opened lawsuits against the providers that were offering telemedicine services because they were not used to telemedicine. And for in their minds, this was an irresponsible act that goes against the principles of evidence-based medicine, which is not true. And we know nowadays. So that's how a little bit how, how the digital health state of the art was before the pandemic. And then the pandemic came and it definitely disrupted several things. Of course, the whole regulation changed and the Peruvian College of Physicians accepted and implemented as well. And then they have been from that moment on one of the biggest forces pushing the development of, the, of digital solutions in healthcare in Peru. So you can see that, of course, that moment of the history of Peru really changed the mindset of different organizations and the things that we were talking before that were completely niched nowadays are very expanded and already implemented solutions. I find your comment around doctors filing lawsuits against telemedical providers not surprising. And that's because a recent survey by PA Consulting globally showed that when they were talking to 550 leaders across public and private hospitals, Nearly two-thirds, so 65%, believed that a lack of understanding of the healthcare system is going to hinder the speed of home-based care in the next five years. And what I thought was specifically interesting was that fewer than a third, so 28% of healthcare leaders, said that physicians are motivated to transition from hospital care despite the positive medical outcomes. So basically less than a third we're really excited about this, if I could say that. When we talk about healthcare digitalization, we always also look at what is the funding that's available to actually pay for all the technology and the implementation of these solutions. Where is Peru in that regard? National funding, uh, it, it hasn't been the most welcome topic. I, there are definitely funds, but we are, we're lacking strategy at the moment for implementation. So we are seeing that even though several systems that are national systems are starting to really be modernized and digitized, some some of the 
biggest problems in, in healthcare systems in Peru are still remaining. The issues of access, the issues of the high mortality and some of the epidemiologic issues that Peru has always had, they remain. What we did was put a patch during the pandemic to cover the ambulatory consults that we needed to continue to provide for patients that continue to go for any other chronic diseases apart from COVID. That doesn't necessarily mean that we actually uh, sorted out the issues that we had before. They remain as big issues of the country. In in, In an opposite direction, the private care sector does have the resources. And what we see in Peru, which is very interesting, is that the private care sector drives the innovation and then the public health follows. As long as we have an actor in Peru, a a part in Peru that actually implements these technologies and shows everyone how it works and how efficiently it works, then we have a big potential for the rest of the medical systems to follow up. Can you elaborate a little bit further what's the relationship between private and public health care in Peru? What I'm seeing when it comes to innovations and in the public systems is that even if you have a generally accessible health care publicly provided, like private providers that just charge out-of-pocket payments are popping up and are somehow disrupting various systems just because the need for healthcare is increasing so much and it's getting harder and harder to get to a clinician in time if you want to go the public way without yeah. any co-pays. We're talking about countries that have universal healthcare systems, first of all, because it's a completely different environment and ecosystem than, for instance, the U.S. ecosystem where you co-pay absolutely everywhere unless you are from the VA or some specific micro microsystems. But in, in Peru, everyone has the right for healthcare. So it's a more burdened medical system because you can, if you want to, as a patient, you can access healthcare universally and you will receive healthcare just depending on the time or the quality of the healthcare that, that varies a lot depending on the hospital and the place where you live. And that's a little bit the issue, which is what makes patients look for private care. I don't think that issue has to completely be solved because I do think that there's a, there's always a space for private care, just like us, there's space for private education and private anything. There's, there's always a space for a market because markets are big. But when we talk about how do they interact with each other, I think that Peru is a very interesting example of a cooperative system in which the public health system is actually in deep cooperation with the private care. I'm going to give you an example. For instance, in the INCOR, which is the institution, the National Institution of the Heart in Peru, whenever there's a patient that needs to have a cardiac MRI or a very specialized radiology procedure or test, they will send them to the Clinica Internacional because they have the best radiology service. And that is, for instance, a very interesting example of integrating systems. Some of these national payers will cover the costs of these patients for these hyper-specialized tests, even though they happen in the private care systems. They interact. And of course, you will find you will see the same physicians working in the public and in the private care at the same time. We have in Peru, it's very common that physicians take a couple of hours to work at public hospitals and then a couple of other hours to work at private hospitals in their normal day, in a normal week. 
Is that because it's basically impossible to limit the freedom of clinicians because the public system needs them and it needs to adapt to their desires? It's This is not exclusively seen in Peru. So we see it in other places with public healthcare systems as well. And I'm, I think it's very difficult to really find a good solution that would just keep clinicians only in the public sector. I think it has a lot of different reasons. One of the reasons I think is that physicians in Peru that work in the private sector also want to work in the public sector out of philanthropic reasons. I think that's actually the majority of them. Other reasons could be that physicians that work in the private sector and they are subspecialized and their clinics don't have that, those subspecialized departments would have to go to a more complex hospital, which are usually public hospitals because they have the biggest complexities. They will have probably pediatric neurosurgery departments and those types of things. So then if you are a, hy a hyper-specialized physician, you probably will also want to work in that field, which is more available in the public health systems. I think those are probably the main reasons. Some people would say that there's also the part when physicians can have, because in Peru, there's always a culture of your physician and you become like a The, the, there's like fame among physicians. So there's a lot of prestige and fame going on. If you work in the public care, you could also transport your patients to the private care. I haven't seen it happening, to be honest. And uh, But I, what I do see happening a lot is just physicians trying to give back a little bit of what they receive in the private care by working in the public care and collaborating with the medical system. That is what I actually always see. If we go back to healthcare digitalization and technologies, Where would you put Peru in that regard? Do, did you see any good practices in terms of digital technology implementation? It's oftentimes also related to budgets and costs, to which extent you can invest in AI, in R&D, if you have a public hospital. So how is Peru tackling that? The U.S. market is very advanced because hospitals work as businesses, so they just operate completely differently in terms of what they invest in and how much do they research digital health technologies. But in many other markets, that's not the case. So where's Peru? Peru has a very, as we said at the beginning, it has a very deep history, let's say baggage of epidemic, epidemiologic healthcare needs. So, of course, the budget should go of, uh, in, as a priority to sort those healthcare needs. We're talking about screening for breast cancer, for instance. Peru is one of the countries that has the biggest amount of breast cancer patients. So, of course, when we think about what do we prefer to implement, you know, artificial intelligence for drug discovery in, in, in one hospital that might one day find a molecule, or do we prefer to implement a project of screening of breast cancer among populations that are at risk. I would think that the latter is probably the most intelligent approach for public health in, in, in a public health way of thinking. What I see that in Peru is that digital technologies are starting to, to imp be implemented in a market. We had a very r fast and, let's say, emergency implementation of telemedicine that now has to be regulated and has to be standardized. Uh, but we also have ha have seen many systems in Peru that are starting to get electronic health record systems, implementing them at the hospital, at hospital levels, in, interoperating them with their PACs. Some levels of usage of AI in radiology are happening in Peru as well. So yes, things are moving, definitely. 
as I said before, the private care is probably the first one to be using them. So the EHR implementation, for instance, started in a hospital system called AUNA, and now there's also the Clinica Internacional and, and other hospital systems in Peru that are also implementing their own EHRs from different vendors and so on, but trying to standardize. And then it, they are making them interoperate with data uh, compilation systems and packs from radiology. So that's also a, a great positive thing. And then the last thing is they are also working into the patient centricity side. So creating patient platforms and omnichannel communication systems with patients. I think the omnichannel strategies, they come from the banking world. They have been they have been bringing people that are digital transformation specialists from other fields to come into the hospital systems to transform them digitally. So you will see a lot of user or client centric types of, of approaches in terms of chatbots, portals, communication, marketing, and all those things, doctor patient communication type of systems because of the origin of the people that work in the digital transformation. How much of the healthcare IT side of solutions is developed by hospitals themselves? And to which extent do they buy the existing solutions on the market? And what I'm trying to explore there is what kind of opportunities do you see for startups? And how much, what are the chances that startups actually start working, say, with public hospitals? What's the sentiment and culture related to that? I don't think that clinical systems in Peru are developing their own technologies, not all of them. I have seen some companies arise from hospital systems that are private, most of them developing pretty much the same solution, telemedicine, communication solutions, apps that have chatbots and, and those types of things. I haven't seen anything very disruptive being created in there by the medical systems. There is an appetite for artificial intelligence, but there is a big knowledge gap in terms of artificial intelligence and how to apply it, how to code it, how to train it, how to test it. They haven't really had yet the chance to be able to develop algorithms before. Even though they want to, I think that it will take them some time before they can really get themselves technology ready to to be able to actually develop a proper artificial intelligence for specific usage in the clinic. And also, let's remember that even if they would develop their own artificial intelligence, that doesn't really make it a commercial solution. It would be very difficult for them to bring it to the commercial point. So there's a lot of opportunity for, for companies to work with, with Peruvian hospitals and clinics and private care, most likely because of the fact that they are not going to attempt to, in, to develop a lot and they would probably love to procure to be leveled with the standards in the US and Europe. Yeah, I thought your just description was very interesting because the challenge with the adoption of AI algorithms is usually that you need to adapt it to the local specifics and just the data sets and everything that's in the hospital. So even if a hospital did do that on their own without the aim of scaling across hospitals, that would already be very forward thinking by a medical institution, I think. You recently published and are still promoting a course on technology and AI, if I'm not mistaken, for clinicians. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Why did you decide to do this course and what are your plans with it? Who can see it? Yes. First of all, there's a lot of, as I told you, a lot of appetite by physicians to learn 
digital health, wearables, artificial intelligence. They see it around them. They see the vendors and distributors bringing them to the hospital, but they don't understand them and they can't implement something that they don't understand. I think it's, it's something that we've learned from already by now, the digital therapeutics, for instance, debacle has shown us that the market needs to be ready for something before something can be implemented. And uh, the doctors are seeing technologies with curiosity and uh, they want to learn more about it. And I received many emails. I received many messages from different authority level and universities on how can we do something with tech? There's a lot of medical students that want to learn and recent residents and specialists. I started with the University of San Marcos a year ago. I became part of their faculty to create the Masters of Digital Health that they have currently, and it's been a very successful program. And then this year, we joined forces with a very interesting group of people. We realized that in order to give this type of knowledge, we need to create an ecosystem, and we need to be many collaborators in this space. Not only from one party can knowledge be developed. So we we used the experience of Clinica Internacional and also their big network to be able to attract physicians and healthcare providers to come to the course. We use the expertise of Elsevier and partner with Elsevier to be able to actually have a really validated and very well done medical course. And then we partner with the Peruvian College of Physicians, which as I told you now, they are a giant force towards progress in technology. So they were very kind to provide accreditation levels for the course. And we, of course, worked with an academic partner, which is the University of San Martin in Lima. And together, we built this course. And this course was a three master class course in which we talked in the first master class about digital health and all the, the concepts of digital health from what is it, how does it divide into the different types of digital health options or remote monitoring, uh, digital therapeutics, to more targeted types of, of applications of digital health in medicine. So giving them some real world examples. And then we finished with an interview with Raphael Grossman that really motivated people to as the start of the course. And then the second masterclass was about wearable devices and connected healthcare. So it was hardware and software interrelating and interworking connected. I think that's also something really interesting because physicians in Latin America, they are used to analog technologies so they can see what the potential of digital is also for the current technologies that they're using nowadays. And they loved it, of course. It was a, one of the most I think from the three masterclasses, it was the one that was the most acclaimed. And then we had at the end of this masterclass an interview with David Fernandez Rivas, which is the inventor of the needleless injection, which is also Cuban. And Rafael is Venezuelan. So everything was like within the Latin American leadership. I think that we needed to bring these Latin American experts to also show them that, yes, we're in Latin America. And yes, we are not as progressed as the US and Europe in terms of technology readiness or implementation, but we are just as good. What would you say are some of the biggest strengths of healthcare and just healthcare digitalization in this region? Because globally, healthcare systems have similar problems. What are some of the things that kind of stand out for you in terms of the opportunities and in terms of things like, like this? I think that the region has a lot of strengths. One of the one of the biggest trends that I think is just the culture. Latin the Latin American culture is a very curious culture. If you think about it in terms of the adoption of new technologies by the general population, when the iPhone came out, Latin America was one of the biggest adopters of technologies. In the medical community, it happens the same way. 
everyone is really looking to progress and to adopt things that are, of course, validated that have evidence, but that will really make them better physicians and that will give, help them to provide better care to their patients. Some countries with some disparity have different approaches to technologies, but countries like Colombia, Chile, Uruguay, for instance, is 100% standardized with EHRs and interoperable as a complete country, but of course, a small country, but it shows the, the hunger of the Latin American ecosystem to be able to build and to put themselves at the same level as US and Europe. I'm glad you mentioned the size of Uruguay as one of the success factors for broader digitalization, because the way that I'm seeing it, it, if you look at countries like Estonia or Slovenia, they all have good national digitalization. And I think that has a lot to do with how many people need to be involved in the decision making, in the implementation and in, in everything. Yeah. So where do you see the biggest potential in the future in terms of technology adoption in Peru. Usually that has to do with policy, with digital health strategies, with plans on national levels. How much hunger do you see from the policymakers to modernize and invest in modernization? Not a lot. Unfortunately, the policymakers are the least hungry people. Maybe they are very full. So <laughs> it's, it's always an issue when we talk about technology implementation because you have the operators, which is the providers that are very hungry to, to use technology. You have the patients that could really benefit and they want these technologies to be implemented as soon as possible so they can en enhance their clinical outcomes. You see the payers that could save their money and, and that are also very interested in technologies to be implemented so they can actually do less costs and provide more healthcare. And then you have the policymakers. And the policymakers in Peru, unfortunately, they haven't really put themselves to the level as the rest of the ecosystem actors. And so there are the regulations that are being implemented, are being developed at the moment for telemedicine and remote patient monitoring, but not necessarily are they yet as, as advanced as other countries in the region and as advanced as Europe or the United States. And then also the way we procure technologies and regulation in terms of technology procurement is also very low. So that's also another big issue that the Peruvian system has at the moment. Our policies are basically, I'll give you an example. If you want to procure software in Peru, you need to create a type of organization called Drogeria, which is like a pharmacy. And you need to have a pharmacist as a director of this organization, although you are procuring software. For to regulate software. So it makes no sense. But of course, the regulation of medical devices or medical products in general, it started from the pharma point of view and it hasn't been renovated. It hasn't been modernized yet. So it's still compromises of a pharmacist, even though it doesn't really fit the picture for the new medical times. But okay, it's one of those examples. To, could you maybe just put Peru in a broader context? So healthcare in Peru in the broader context of the national economy and maybe the forces that could impact broader healthcare technology improvements. Because I was just looking at the World Bank data and Peru only attributes 5.2% of its GDP to healthcare now 
just the percentage of GDP is not necessarily the deterministic factor for healthcare digitalization. Taiwan is highly digitized, again, a small country, but also has really good digitalization while not spending a lot on healthcare. So how do you see that intersection, the political, economic and the impact on healthcare? But the GDP of Taiwan is massive compared to the GDP of Peru. So that percentage is probably a lot more in a way smaller country. So maybe it makes sense for them. I think that we actually have the two variables that could make it a a positive story even more against us because our GDP is lower than that and our geographic area is even bigger, which makes it even more scarce. I think that you are onto something for sure about the funds that are used for the advancement of technology in medicine. I think that we need to we need to be able to use more and to actually to provide more. This is something that has been a, con- a continuous fight by several parties in in Peru, from the political side, from the um, from the corporate side, from patient organization groups. And uh, while Peru has increased their expenditure per year in healthcare since the coronavirus, it's still not in the place where we would like to see it. Of course, as we know, the country has a lot of other priorities as well. It's a country that is starting to create an infrastructure. So it definitely has still a very long road in terms of history to to live before we can look at some levels as China or Europe. Are there any last thoughts that you would like to add when somebody says digital health in Peru? What pops to your head? I think that uh, what I would say is it's a it's an emergent market. There's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of appetite and uh, solutions that make sense for the epidemiology. So as you said, the data is very important. Validated data in our ethnicities with our epidemiologic components will be very well received. And uh, I think it's a very approachable market, especially from the private side at this point. So never say no to Peru. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to the show, or follow us on LinkedIn. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Stay tuned.